Last week in tech. Hey everyone, and welcome to Last Week in Tech, a podcast from the editors of Popular Science. I'm Karen Iosio. I'm Rob Verger. And I'm Stan Book Air Horacek. Stan, Stan Book Air. Stan Horacek. You got laptops on the brain, Stan? I do. Why I, do you have laptops on the brain? Because Apple announced a whole bunch of new stuff, and the most exciting part of it is the new MacBook Air that we've been waiting eight years for. <laughs> Wait, when was... It's been... Since 2012? It's been a really long time since the MacBook Air. So the MacBook Air was announced about a decade ago. And people, it was the best laptop. It was just the best laptop for a long time. Why? Because, because it was it had exactly the right amount of power, but it was also just under three pounds. And it had this really ridiculous form factor. You know, when it was announced, they took it out of a manila envelope. That was like one of the famous... It wasn't just they, it was Steve Jobs. It was Steve Jobs, yeah. He took it out of the mouth. <laughs> That's like a watershed moment <laughs> for like people getting really excited about gadgets during like live gadget announcements. Just going, ooh. Yeah. And then the MacBook Air sort of just sat there and became, you know, everything changed around it. You know, it was like a rock in the middle of the Apple ocean where other machines got USB-C and they got faster processors and they got higher resolution screens. And the MacBook Air just sat there, costing $1,000 and having a bunch of really old ports on it and stuff. And people have been waiting half a decade for them to like give it a real redesign and upgrade. And we got it this week. Was it exactly what we were hoping for? What are the big feature highlights? I think it's most of what people were hoping for. Uh, it has a retina display now. You know, the old MacBook Air had one of those old-timey Mac screens where the screen was recessed into the bezel, so you could get a lot of crud that, like, mm -hmm. built up around. It wasn't, like, glass edge-to-edge. -edge. We're so used to every Mac computer having this, like, full-glass screen now. But the retina is not just about the glass, right? There's right. something it's really different about <laughs> the way the screen is built yeah it's about pixels per inch and which means that now the like the resolution is just really high they have uh, you know they literally quadrupled the resolution <laughs> of this the old screen now um so it looks much better uh it's more powerful it has a modern processor finally eighth generation processor um and you know it got it got a redesign that's like in a different case now it has the USB-C's like the macbook pro so does it feel like it belongs now it goes with the rest of the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, it has made deciding which Mac laptop to buy a little harder because it starts at $1,199, $1,199, which is a little more expensive than I think what people were, were expecting. I think a lot of people really hoped for this like magical $1,000 unicorn of a computer that was going to be fast and compact. And like we didn't quite get there, which means that if you're going to spend $1,199, that's only $100 off of the smallest iPad. Uh, that's only $100 off of the smallest MacBook Pro. So now like, you have a lot of computers in the line that are really similar. I think one thing that people are excited about too with the new MacBook Air is that it finally has a Touch ID sensor, which we've seen in other MacBooks and other PCs, and it's really great to now have it in a machine that's more affordable on the Mac line. I'm not terribly excited. I have a current gen macbook pro which i will probably now sell and get the air to lose whatever the couple ounces is they get the buying the air shaves off and the touch id sensor never works on my computer never works. really no oh that's Horrible. weird do you always use it when your hands are wet 
No. Are you it's wearing just, gloves? It's, just, it's finicky. It's like it didn't, it doesn't, it's a smaller sensor. I. Um, it's almost as if it didn't learn my finger as well as the sensor on my phone. Huh. Well, and it also, uh, some people were expecting the laptops to get face ID, which seems like it would have been a really cool addition. And I'm not sure if there's like a technical reason why they couldn't get face ID, but that seems like opening your laptop and just having it see your face and then open would be really cool. It would be great. And the new iPads, to jump ahead for a second, got Face ID. So it's kind of a shame that the newest MacBook Air did not. Well, and Microsoft will do it too. Microsoft has a thing called Hello that's been around for a really, I like to say like, hello. <laughs> Microsoft puts this Hello thing on a lot of their laptops and it works not very often. But at the same time, I think it's just using the camera. It's not using the fancy infrared or 3D modeling or anything. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's the problem. But if, if Apple could just make face ID work on a phone. Like, I don't, maybe it's the distance is too far. Maybe you have to hold it too close to your face. Or they could make it work on a MacBook Air, but they want to try to keep the price low. So maybe those sensors are expensive. Yeah, that's also also possible too. It's, it's a real weird trying to decide now between the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air because the, the base level, the 13.3 inch MacBook Pro weighs three pounds. Are you talking about like actually the, the just MacBook with no Pro at the end? No, no, the MacBook is now the most confusing thing in the line because it weighs two pounds, but it's woefully underpowered and it only has one USB-C port that you have to use for both attaching accessories and charging. So if you're charging your computer, you can't attach anything to it without a crazy dongle, uh, which is terrible. But the actual MacBook Pro, it weighs three pounds. It costs $100 more. It only weighs, like, its three-pound weight is literally only a quarter of a pound more than the MacBook Air. You know, so... It's it's really to look at the two computers. You're hard pressed to just be like, which one of these am I supposed to buy? What if people look at it and say, you know what? I've been waiting for this. I don't know if this, even this MacBook Air update is right. There are other options, right? We can get the same form factor if you're willing to leave the Apple ecosystem. Oh yeah, once you go outside of Apple, you know, to to other laptop makers, like the Dell X, XPS 13 is one of the best laptops I've ever used. Like it's it's awesome and it feels. You know, it, it, there's this weird trope in the tech world where anytime anything feels really nice, people are like, oh, it feels like an Apple product, <laughs> you know, but the, that kind of really does. It's really small. It's under three pounds. It's a fast processor, you know, r roughly the same price, like not a thousand, eleven hundred bucks. It's it's really fantastic. And, you know, if you were people really were just waiting for something they could run Mac OS on, you know, the the Huawei makes a computer called the MateBook X Pro, which it was literally like the the MacBook Air that people were waiting for, just made by a, a knockoff company. And <laughs> running Windows. And running Windows, yeah. But it's it's awesome. It's one of the nicest Windows laptops I've ever used, and it's roughly a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Um, so there are options out there, but there are a lot of Mac diehards who are really excited about MacBook Air, and they got it finally. But MacBook Air wasn't the only computer that we saw this week. We also saw the return of a dear old friend called the Mac Mini. But people don't seem to be quite as excited about that. <laughs> yeah, Mac Mini is a cool product. It's literally a desktop. You know, like how how excited can you get about a desktop computer? But it's space gray now. Yeah, and it doesn't look like a desktop. It almost looks like an Apple TV. It's a small rectangle. It very much does look like the Apple TV. Yeah, Apple's got this thing going where anything that's not a laptop or an iPad just looks like a little gray box. It's like a square hockey puck. Yeah, you know, these are meant for people who understand how they work. Like you can 
arrange them all together into a cluster and use them to like render your own Pixar movie, you know, if you want, or like compile code. Um, People put them on servers, like racks of them and just make it power a lot of stuff. Yeah, that, that's what these are. They're just made to just be computing power in a little in a little box. And, you know, uh, honestly, if you just want one for your house at seven hundred ninety nine dollars, like it's expensive for how much power you get, because that's the first thing any PC builder is going to say. They're like, well, if you went to Newegg and you ordered all your own parts, you could get this for five hundred dollars. And like. Yeah, sure. But also I can just go to the Apple store, buy this, and it'll just work for the next five years. And I don't have to solder things or ground my wrist and use a tiny screwdriver. Yeah, and like if I already if you already have a monitor, you know, <laughs> then you just you just hook it up and you just never think about it again. Like that's what that's that's for. My mom would do really well <laughs> with a Mac Mini. Maybe I'll get her a whole rack of them and use it, make my own Pixar movies at her house. <laughs> so I want to move on to the other big updates from this week's slate of Apple announcements, which are the Apple slates, the new iPads. We're now in this area where the iPads are just super high-end devices. This is not like an entry-level product anymore, it seems. Oh yeah, they're too, they're stupid fast. They have the new fastest Apple mobile processor, the A12X Bionic, right? That's what it's that's, called. I think that's their branding. Yeah. yeah, they literally kept saying during the presentation, this is the, basically the computing guts of an Xbox One. S in inside of a tablet, um, which is a really lofty thing for them to say. It's also kind of weird because they never show any games that look like Xbox games on the on the thing. A lot of the gaming press was very like shrugged off when they kept saying that. Um, but like it is really super powerful. They said it's a thousand times more powerful than the first iPad. Which I is, found an old iPad the other day. Yeah, it wouldn't turn on. God, it looked so stupid. It was remember insane. how stupid it looked. And that 30 pin adapter, like remember that 30 pin adapter? Like now that 30 pin adapter is two generations out of date because the new iPads use USB-C. That is surprising to see them using that as a connector now instead of the lightning. Yeah, and it's and cool. Good. It's cool that you can charge out. So you can now plug your iPhone into your iPad to charge your iPhone. Whoops. Does that mean there's a lightning to USB-C cable now? Yeah, there's also a, an official Apple USB to headphone cable because the new iPad does not have a headphone jack. But the new MacBook Air does. So yeah. we're getting some mixed messages from Apple. That would have been this a, is all very confusing. Yeah, that would have been a really big step for them to make a laptop without a headphone jack. That would have been a really big jump. Although Apple's big thing about the iPad is that always it's this tool for creatives and you can make augmented reality and you can make Photoshop and all this stuff. And like you can edit video and you, you want headphones for all of that stuff. You know what I mean? If you're a creative person, in air quotes, you, you're probably going to wear headphones all the time, right? I would imagine. Or most gamers wear headphones. Like, you can't just not have that as an option. Right, and like, if you're using it as a, as a portable content creation device and you're trying to edit your video of, like, whatever hipster garbage you're making a video about, then, like, your headphones die and you don't have this $9 dongle that you lost... Like, what do you do? You, now it's like a useless thing. I don't know. It, it's a weird, it's weird for them to leave it off of the iPad. I understand them leaving it off of the iPhone, but not putting it on the iPad feels really odd. Well, especially if it belies what they're saying that this device is for. Yeah. 
Uh, the last pay, I know, I know we're like, we've been talking about Apple for 240 years now. Um, but the new pencil is also really cool. And it's probably worth noting that if you buy a new iPad and you have an old Apple pencil will not work mm. with your new iPad. Oh, I love planned obsolescence. <laughs> it's my favorite. But yeah. that new pencil now attaches magnetically to the side of your fancy yeah, and new iPad and charges that way. Yeah. One of the stupidest things on earth is un taking the cap off and plugging in the pencil. Yeah. It's the dumbest thing. And in it the seems world. like it's going to break so easily too. Yeah. When you do it that way. Not anymore though. But again, just cementing, this is a device for creatives. And now where are they supposed to put their headphones? Wouldn't Apple just say, you put on your AirPods? Yes, that is exactly but what Apple I, paid Rob to say. <laughs> I threw up in my mouth a little bit while I was saying that. <laughs> well, while we clean this mess up, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, pals, looking for super cool popular science merch? We've got you covered at popsci.threadless.com. Pick up t-shirts, notebooks, and mugs with iconic vintage covers and illustrations ripped from the magazine. Plus... Check out our podcast store and rep your favorite shows like Last Week in Tech and The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. That's popsci.threadless.com. P-O-P-S-C-I threadless.com. And the next topic is... We're back. Next up, some potential news about Twitter deleting the like feature. I can't decide how I feel about this, Stan. I never really understood maybe why the like button was there so i guess maybe i don't also understand why i would miss it if it went away yeah jack dorsey from twitter said at a private twitter event that he did does not like the like button the little heart that exists underneath your tweets for people to give you validation for whatever stupid nonsense it is you put on twitter we live for your affirmations <laughs> we we need it it's our lifeblood he does not like it and he says that twitter will be getting rid of the like button or they they're considering it yeah the original report was that he said they were getting rid of it, and now there's been a lot of hedging uh, about whether or not it's going to happen. Twitter has officially said that there's no specific timeline for changes that they're going to make, which is just wonderfully vague um, in terms of it. But the general consensus seems to be that Twitter does not actually like the like button. They do not heart the heart. See, I want to defend the like button for a second because a, a lot of times when you're on Twitter and you want to interact with it, there's a couple different things you could do. You could retweet it, which is kind of bold, right? You're, you're actually retweeting somebody else's tweet and putting it on your timeline. You could write back to them, but the like is kind of a softer way of saying like, hey, I liked this and it lets the other person know that you liked it. It's actually a way you could kind of save it for yourself that way. You can look at the tweets that you've liked and see what uh, did see, I like. See, I've convinced myself in the past that like, I'm going to like this, so I'll look at it later and I never looked back. Uh, well, I, I don't, yeah, I don't look at them either. <laughs> you're a liar if you say that you're looking back at the stuff you've liked. <laughs> well, the thing I'm not lying about is that I like the like button. But you don't feel like in a certain way it's become perfunctory? I, like, I definitely see people on Twitter liking any mention of themselves just to kind of acknowledge almost as a thank you or... I don't know. I never bought into the notion of it working as a bookmarking tool because I personally, like Stan, have never, ever, ever looked back at anything that I like. I think there are a lot of ways you can use it. You can use it as a conversation ender where if you're like having a conversation with someone and then they're like, oh, but what about this? And you're just like, like, and then you never respond. You know, sometimes it's a conversation ender. Like, I, I mean, accept that as end of sentence. Right. Yeah, it's totally perfunctory. It's the same kind of idea of a Facebook post and clicking like on that. Like, it's like, yeah, it's a weak social media interaction, but I still like it. I'm glad it exists. 
Uh, see, I'm sometimes I'm glad it exists, but there are times like the passive aggressive like when you know someone is subtweeting you where they're like, I really hate people in the office who microwave tuna fish for lunch. And you're like, damn it, that's me. And then you're like, like, just to make them panic for a minute. Or like the other passive aggressive one, if someone owes you something or they're supposed to send you an email back and they're like, at the beach, having living life. And you're like, like, and they're like, oh no, he saw it. Like, <laughs> you can use it to shame people. Lying so, to your boss about like where you stands are. stands like, I don't have time to edit your article. And then you're tweeting like, <laughs> at the track event. What I don't understand, and did Jack get into this at all, is what's the point of deleting it? What harm is it doing other than maybe feeling like a useless feature to some people, but a thing that their users interact with all the time. Yeah, I mean, and that's the point. This is, you know, he said, you know, right now we have a big like button with a heart on it and we're incentivizing people to want it to go up, the number of likes to go up. And that's used to be the buzzword. That used to be the thing that everyone wanted to do. That was the UX dream was like, what can we put on this page that makes people, you know, like these people are all chickens and what kind of grain can we throw on their phones so they'll peck at it incessantly, you know? Like that was the goal of UX at one point. And now it's more like, now everyone has to take a big step back and be like, what are you talking about? We didn't make you addicted to your stupid phone. You know, we didn't give a service where Nazis could yell at you. Now that wasn't And then agree with each other rapidly. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, they're trying to address this idea of, of the echo chamber, you know, and the general consensus is like, this is a horrible way to do that. Don't make these big overtures about getting rid of the echo chamber when the like button isn't what creates the echo chamber. It's the retweet. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, one thing I have to actually give Twitter credit for is that they have just like they they made it into a heart at some point. I remember when it changed from a like people went crazy for it where like, they were they're upset about it. Right. But they haven't gone into like full Facebook or Instagram territory where it's like now they'll like now you can be like sad emoji or chicken emoji or fire emoji laughing sad <laughs> right like it's literally just acknowledge like that, that's what the like button is it's just ag- acknowledge the read receipt of social media that's really basically what it is now hmm. i think you know you can use it for however you want i as you know i prefer to use it passive aggressively and not congratulatory. <laughs> I never thought of a like as being passive aggressive. Now you can. I'm going to think now about I'm it differently. Now I'm going to think that this every single be, time. Next time I like one of your tweets, you're going to be like, why did he do that? <laughs> is Stan upset with me? <laughs> Stan's shade tweeting me again. Yeah. Don't do it. This is going to be fun. You should do it to your friends too. Make sure they know about it. All my likes from now on will be passive aggressive. <laughs> oh God, it's going to be a personal goal. Everything gotta, just got, Twitter got dark. Rob gotta, was normally such a happy person. I know. Take advantage of it while it's here. We clearly all spend plenty of time on Twitter, but this week we also got our quarterly look under the hood of how many people are using Facebook. What did we learn? At the earnings call, by the way, never listens to an earnings call. They're the most boring thing on earth. We do it so you don't have to. (laughs) Yes. Watching the Apple announcement is fun. Listening to an earnings call is sad. There are probably some people out there who love numbers and love earnings calls. Yeah. There's Uh, maybe three people. Yeah. If you really love numbers and stuff that I hate, find yourselves an earning call. And, and listen to people. If you like love passive aggressiveness, that's where to go. But we're less concerned about the money here. Let's talk about the people. Yeah. So the original 
message was that Facebook was flat in the US and Canada, which is its biggest markets. That's where it has the most penetration. And it actually lost a million users in Europe, which is another big market for it. But it showed growth in Asia. But the people who understand money <laughs> are not convinced that growth in Asia is going to make up for loss in America. They've gone back and they've re they've revamped the numbers because of some what they call like misinterpreted information. And so it turns out that they may consider that they have grown by 5 million in Europe instead of lost a million users. But like at this point, we're just talking about play money numbers because they, they have so, so many users that it's hard to even care. Like the, when, when they announced that they lost a million users in Europe, the stock didn't move at all. Is your sense that the, the report that they lost a million users in Europe is more of a census or a kind of a way of measuring it that they've changed and now they're saying the, the number is different or that people are actively leaving Facebook because they're upset about privacy? Well, the last earnings update that they did, the last investors call was a bloodbath. They lost 20% of their value because they said, we're trying to cut out all this shenanigans with all of this where, you know, this foolishness where we're ruining countries and getting people harassed. We're going to try and we might lose some users and they lost 20%. Uh, they, their stock lost 20%. It got huge, took a huge loss. Um, so I think the general consensus that people are leaving and they're not growing as fast as they expected there would have been if they hadn't had all these catastrophic problems. Right. But isn't, isn't there a chance that these numbers, even to say that they're flat, right? Okay. Maybe anybody in the United States or Canada who's going to have Facebook has Facebook and maybe flat is the new up, right? Like flat is normal, but that doesn't really tell us all that much about how much people are still interacting with Facebook because this is active users, right? And that threshold is pretty high. Yeah, so they, they measure both daily and monthly visitors. And Mark Zuckerberg has been very clear that their focus is on three different things now. It's no longer on the newsfeed. It's on messaging, which they're, they're sending 100 billion messages per day, I think it is. And, you know, the other things that they're worried about are, are video and video chat, you know, like that's where we're going. Even Facebook is now acknowledging that the Facebook that you know and either love or hate is going away. Do you use Facebook less than you used to? Do you feel your patterns with it yeah. petering off? It's more, I, I use Facebook now to buy old crap off of Marketplace which I really like. I think that's fun, but that's just my like janky nature. And also to find out about events. I think it's a really good tool for finding out about stuff that's happening near you. But the novelty of people being like, here's a picture of my dress. And you're like, <laughs> just, to, yeah. I want to clarify something you said a moment ago, Stan, about the Facebook, you know, kind of going away. Are you saying that the way we interact with Facebook, which for me, a lot of times is like seeing cute pictures of my nephews, like you were kind of just alluding to, or, uh, updates from friends or whatever. Is that, is that part going away or is it? Becoming yeah. You're going to see that be more and more into stories. Like Mark Zuckerberg has explicitly said that stories are, are one of the big ways that people like this idea of sharing things that go away. And that seems kind of self-serving. Uh, to be quite honest in their part to be like, okay, well now you still give us all your information and we'll glean whatever we can off of it, but then it'll go away. So we're not responsible for it anymore. Like that's the best thing that could possibly happen for them. Even so like the best case scenario for Facebook, given the type of year that they've had is to not be losing people. 
Yeah. And the people who are fleeing Facebook are sometimes ending up on Instagram or if they want messaging, they're sometimes ending up on WhatsApp and they're just, they're just moving around. No escape. Yeah. They're just occupying a different room, a different dungeon in Zuck's house. All right. Well, take this commercial break as an opportunity to go occupy a different space and we'll be right back. science we report and write dozens of science and tech articles every week and while a lot of the fun facts we stumble across make it into our articles there are lots of other weird facts that we just keep around the office so we figured why not share those with you welcome to the weirdest thing i learned this week from the editors of popular science new episodes come out every wednesday on apple podcasts google play music soundcloud and almost everywhere you can listen to podcasts thanks for listening weirdos on to the next thing we're back Our last segment today, we're going to answer a handful of questions from you all, our dear Last Week in Tech listeners. First up is a question from a Twitter follower. His Twitter handle is AdorableDoor, which is an adorable name. Any chance you could talk about privacy some more, specifically in the field of, in my youth, I gave up pretty much all information to companies like Facebook, and I honestly don't know what sites I'm registered at. How do I go about reclaiming my data? Stan, you've looked into a lot of this, deleting your data, minimizing what your exposure is online. What are the top things to do? Yeah, I guess the top line version is, sorry, pal, you're boned. (laughs) The information you have given up, you have given up, and it is out there. And barring some sort of sweeping regulation, most of the information that is been collected about you will be collected forever, and they will not have to give it up. The, The good part is that Uh, more companies are letting you see the information that they have about you now, and they are letting you delete some of it. So for instance, if you go to Facebook now and you go through the security uh, portion of the app or the web page, you can see the things that Facebook has deduced about your life. Um, So like, for instance, it thinks I'm in the established adult portion of my life. I've never told Facebook that. And Facebook also thinks it knows my politics. And if I think Facebook is wrong about that, I can I can tell Facebook, no, you're wrong about those things. You can also download all of your information and see what they have so that you can sort of prepare yourself. And that that goes for almost all the big tech companies. Google will allow you to do this. Facebook will allow you to do it. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, pretty much everybody. We have an article on popsci.com that tells you how to go through and see all this information. One of the trickier parts about it is all of the data brokers that are out there. Data brokers are these big giant companies that track your actions across the web and they pull all this stuff down about you and you have to go to each individual one and say, what do you have about me? And some of them, that process involves sending them a copy of your ID because it's like sensitive information. Wait, wait, wait. Here, I want to fix my information or get my information back. Have some more? Yeah, that's Axiom too. One of the big tech brokers, Axiom, A-C-X-I-O-M, I think is how you spell it. They have a a specific website that you can sign up for (laughs) and learn about what data they have on you. And you have to create an account and confirm your account. So in the off chance that they didn't have any information about you before, you have to actually give them more information. And it's it's a very tedious process. There is a, a vice motherboard list of literally dozens of data brokers that probably have information about you. We link to that in the article, but it's it's a ton. So if you really want to stop people from tracking you now, 
set aside a weekend because it's going to take some time. I mean, certainly people can just delete Facebook or delete Twitter. And is I, I imagine some information is going to stay behind. But do you, do you get a sense that someone who's very privacy conscious, they regret signing up for Facebook 10 years ago, but never deleted their account could actually just go do that? Yeah. One, one of the sh- sort of silver linings about something like this is if you signed up for Facebook and now all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I don't want Facebook to have my information. You can delete your account. And Facebook has always been very specific about saying that we do not sell information to companies or data brokers. They use that information to target you with advertisements. So if a company comes and says, we really want to sell this guy shovels, then they say, okay, we know some users who like shovels and we'll show them the ads. So if you delete your Facebook account, that information you gave to Facebook isn't really going anywhere assuming that it wasn't part of the Cambridge Analytica thing. Um, so there, that is a silver lining in that once you delete it, no one's going to use it for anything anymore. I just want to say that I went to Facebook recently and checked out, you know, what do they know about me? What do they think they know? And one of my interests or likes turned out to be trousers. <laughs> I believe that about you. Do you do wear pants every day. <laughs> I do. I would call them pants and not trousers, but I thought that was a funny thing that they thought I liked. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. You can try hard in the future. Past you really screwed you, though. All right. Next question is coming over to you, Rob. This is a question we got via email from listener Nicholas Hodson. Nicholas writes, Lately, I have seen and heard a lot about this new headphone technology that is bone conducting, so it doesn't crowd my ear hole. What is it? How does it work? These are really fascinating. I've been trying out a pair and... Like that listener said, instead of being like normal headphones where they plug right into your ear canals and the sound goes in as normal sound does, these sit uh, in a space kind of right in front of your ears. These headphones have transducers in them that send vibrations through your skull, literally through your bones, into your cochlea, which then interprets them as sound. So your ears are free to perceive all the wonderful sounds around you on the sidewalk or at the gym, while you get the sound literally sent as vibrations through your bone. So rather than vibrating my eardrum, I'm basically just pulsing my jaw. Totally. It's skipping the eardrum step. I think they are weird. They're weird for a couple reasons. One is that you feel the vibrations. If you turn up the volume, you feel the vibrations in your bones. And that is a strange feeling. Uh, So that's a a negative. Another negative is that I don't think the audio quality is very good. Um, And a positive is that they let your ears stay open. So if you don't like to have things in your ears, this is a good option. You can hear the outside world around you more easily. And then the music becomes more of a soundtrack that's kind of in the background that's coming in through your skull as opposed to through your ears. So you can hear everything else on the sidewalk while you're walking down the street. But it's not for like audiophiles. This isn't like some, because there's a temptation to be like, wow, it's putting the sound directly into my head. Like that's what I I can feel the music. (laughs) Yes, I'm one with the vibrations. Yeah, I think audiophiles would totally hate these. The bass is bad, and I I don't describe myself as an audiophile, but the sound is the sound quality is not great to my amateur ear. Right, Mm. but there are perhaps certain situations. There are some swimming centric headphones that use bone conduction because sound waves don't necessarily travel when you're underwater the same way that they do when we're out here in the wonderful, breathable open air. My first experience with bone conduction was probably about a decade ago, and it was paired with a more conventional earbud speaker. It was a Bluetooth headset for a phone. And the bone conduction was almost used as a supplemental technology should you happen to be in a loud place and not be able to hear the conventional headphone. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so if you can hear it. It still seems if your ear hole isn't plugged and there's a lot of noise happening, it's still going to be hard to like pick up the nuances of 
Yeah, it's weird because the pair that I'm trying from a company called Trex and they actually ship them with a set of earplugs. So if you want the sound quality to be really hmm. kind of purely coming through your skull and you want all the other ambient sounds to be drowned out you or to be blocked, you put the earplugs in. So what do we think? Recommend, don't recommend? I'd say if you don't care about sound quality and you really want a pair of headphones that give you uh, situational awareness as you're walking down the street, you could, or for something in the gym, Go for it if you're willing to spend the money on something that's not going to have great sound quality. Everybody else I'd say I don't recommend them. Last question doesn't come from a Last Week in Tech listener. It's more of a general wondering we've been hearing bouncing around the popular science office because it's clearly new phone season. We got the upgrades to the flagships from both Apple and Google. And at the same time, there's a new feature on eBay if people want to sell their phone that way as opposed to doing a trade-in program. Stan, is this good, better, worse, the same? Yeah, eBay has a new program where they will essentially buy your phone from you and give you eBay credits. So you can buy other junk on eBay, a new phone, I guess, if you really want to. Um, the The trade-off is that the rate that they will give you is pretty good with the caveat that you have now eBay Disney dollars that you have to spend there. So I'm sure I can find some garbage to buy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's something specific that you know that you want, you can go to eBay and do this. And there are a lot of other ways to sell your phone. Uh, there's a service called Glide, which is kind of eBay-like, G-L-Y-D-E, where you can set a price and then just wait for somebody to buy your phone from you. And there are other services where even Amazon will buy your phone from you. Gazelle is one. Yeah, Gazelle is another really popular one. And Gazelle will even buy broken phones. Totally. They say, don't sell it, Gazelle it. <laughs> right, yeah. Catchy. If you, if you, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to get your best dollar that way, though, but it's easy. It is easy. And, you know, especially if you have a broken phone, because if you want to go the eBay route, you know, eBay knows that it's hard to sell a broken phone, just like it is on regular eBay. So they will not even take your broken phone if you want them to. So you have to go to another service like that. I mean, the other option is factory resetting your phone and then just selling it on Craigslist, which is much more likely to get you stabbed, I guess, than sending it to eBay. But also that's probably selling it directly to somebody is probably how you're going to get the most amount of money for it. Because any company that's taking your phone as any kind of trade-in or anything like that, they're not going to give you the full value. Whereas somebody who wants to, say, save 100 bucks compared to retail might actually give you a higher higher value for it. Would you pick one thing as the best option for the most people? Yeah, I think the eBay thing is a good idea. I think if you're really lazy, something like Gazelle is a really good idea. You just, you just have to weigh how much you care about a little bit of money versus the time that you spend selling your phone. You know, because there are other options too. You can go directly to carriers and carriers will do a thing now where they'll say, hey, you can lease this phone. Like, I want the new iPhone XS Max. And they'll say, oh, well, you can lease it for $10 a month. And you're like, that's a great deal. Like, well, you also have to give us your old phone. And so you have to like do the math of like, how much would it cost me to, you know, iPhone XR for free. Usually it's $30 a month. We're going to have it for how many months on the lease. So in that case, you have to just specifically do the math. And it really depends on what carrier you have. And in, that's another case where your phone has to be in really good shape. Like, I don't know who these people are who are keeping their phones pristine enough that anyone would want to buy them. My precious. Because my, my phone looks like it's been through. Um, mayhem just constant mayhem what about just taking your old phone turning it off and putting it in a drawer 
Is that a good? <laughs> that is a hundred percent the easiest thing to do. I literally I think a lot of people do that. I literally found a drawer full of old uh, of old Palm Pre phones. Oh my god! I had three of them, and they all have. <laughs> this is indicative of when I had them: is that they all have like a what they call a phone skin on the back, which is like a picture. Oh, those horrible <laughs> like laser printed stickers. Yeah, it's like a vinyl sticker that you used to put on the back of your phone. I, the Pre in that phone stands for prehistoric, I think. No, I, but I definitely had a really tacky skin on my BlackBerry. Oh, I had one on my original iPod Classic, too. Oh, awesome. Made it look really cool. Those are all the questions we have time for today. After this week, though, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus, but we've got some super fun stuff planned for you guys in the future. So keep your eyes on the feed for the next few weeks, and you'll be hearing from us again. Last Week in Tech is a popular science podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you're listening to us right now. And if you like the show, please go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. Check out our merch, including Last Week in Tech t-shirts and mugs, at popside.threadless.com. The show is produced by Stan, Rob, and me, Corinne Iozio, as well as our editor, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have any questions, tips, or suggestions, tweet us at Last Week in Tech. Alexa, play Gone Till November by Wyclef.